0: Welcome to the Business of Property Podcast. I'm Simon. And I'm Stuart. We talk every week about the reality of running property businesses. Stuart runs a portfolio of co-living properties with a six-figure turnover.
1: And Simon owns Byte and created Patma, a leading portfolio management system and a source of property market insights.
0: Don't forget, you can join our email list through the link in the show notes. Now, today we thought we'd discuss... A topic that someone else mentioned to me. So this is a a, another landlord, and they're they're in the situation that they have a a couple of existing bytolets, and they're feeling that they're not sure what to do with them. So I think we'll we'll sort of improve or or add to this this story as we go along. But one of the first sort of questions they they put out was, "What would you do if you had a reasonable amount of money to invest?" And you're interested in property because they have traditionally done buy-to-let, but they don't really feel that it's profitable anymore. And I I came back to that initially sort of on the profitability point of buy-to-let because for lots of people, and in certain situations, buy-to-let is very much not profitable anymore. And for a lot of people who are in buy-to-let already they're going to be finding problems at the moment, especially if they're coming up to to mortgage renewals. However, if you're going into fresh buy-to-let deals, I believe it is possible to find buy-to-let deals that are profitable. The level of profitability might vary, and whether you're wanting to accept that level of profitability, that sort of level of return on your money, can obviously vary depending on your situation. But buy to let is very low effort compared to some of the other options. Possibly not compared to other investment options, but other property options. So, first of all, Stuart, do you, do you think I'm, I'm sort of right in this sort of summary? I know I know we've talked about this in a bit more detail in a, in a past episode, but but just a, a quick sort of recap on this point. Do you do you think I'm, I'm right that buy to let can still be profitable, or, or or am I barking up the wrong tree
1: with it? Well. As you know, this subject sort of leans into one of my pet subjects that that makes me smile wryly, which is people randomly posting questions on the internet or on social media. And I, I don't think that they're necessarily looking for specific answers. I actually think they're probably just looking to bolster their own personal perspective. So I, I, I say a lot of this with tongue in cheek, but it's it's always interesting to me, and I see it on a couple of the forums as well where someone says – I've got a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand pounds to spend. Where should I spend it? And then that leads to uh, the number of people responding and and giving their points of view about where to spend. And I just think, if you've got a hundred grand, are you going to let a random stranger on the internet tell you where to spend that money? So I I, I always treat these things with uh, with a, with a little bit of uh, a, a distance and a pinch of salt, but. Of course, the, the, the question is and, and it's impossible to answer all of these questions as well without without the detail from from each of the individuals, which is why again I, I always smile Riley. But in terms of profitability, as we've we've talked about this on this podcast in quite some quite recent episodes, and we know that buy to let is really, really tough right now. And the interest rates have climbed a lot. Uh, we you know, we had a chat with Simon you know, Simon Glastonbury, a mortgage broker, only very recently. So we know things have calmed down a bit, but it's still a lot tougher. And the first question that always springs to my mind is how are people buying? Are, are they buying in, you know, so if someone's thinking about investing, are you buying in a limited company or a personal company? Because that is the first question, which, you know, again, you know, we talked about this episode 189, how Simon and I pay ourselves from from limited companies. And also episode 178, you know, we talked about have interest rates broken by to let, for example. If the person is buying in a personal name, then the next question is, well, are you a high rate taxpayer or a lower rate taxpayer? Because once again, that is going to have a significant issue. And of course, all of that is by the by depending on the, the property itself. You know, if, you, if you've got a property that's generating £400 gross rental income, that's going to be very different to if you're renting out a property that's generating £2,500 per month rental income. So I guess my response to any of these questions, Simon, is a lot more questions, a lot more questions.
0: Well, yeah, that's great. But I, I think, first of all, I'm just going to put, put in a bit of a defence of people asking questions on social media and, and, and other channels and things, as much as I don't think, well, may, maybe, maybe some of them are actually just looking for people to tell them what to do. But I think mostly people asking these sorts of questions are, are not expecting a, you must do this kind of answer. They're, they're looking for sort of canvassing opinions and looking for new ideas and trying to find things that perhaps they haven't thought about. Or, as you say, perhaps trying to sort of reassure them that their their existing plans, their existing thoughts are are sensible and reasonable, and and I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, we we talk to each other, we we explore ideas and thoughts and possible approaches to things, and I think it's the same same thing in social media, except except you're you're talking to strangers rather than people you know, which is, is perhaps a a little bit of a strange take on it. But but there you go. So and in actual fact, in in some social media situations where the the, the circles are smaller. You you can actually be speaking to people you you do know, at least, at least to some degree. So, so yeah, so j- just to get in my my little defense of, of strange questions on social media. To get back to to investing in, in buy you're you're quite right. It's that the situation matters a lot. And as you say, personal names versus limited company, huge difference at the moment. And and that's down to high interest rates, and of course the the section twenty-four tax changes that came in a few years ago. And the other big factor, I think, for for buy-to-let investing is how much capital you have to put into a a project. It used to be that you could put in 25% and get a a 75% loan-to-value mortgage, and and that would would work for buy-to-let. And I don't think that does now. I mean, there are, there are some exceptions in certain deals in certain areas, et cetera, et cetera. But generally speaking, that doesn't. And I think a lot of people will, will look at potential buy to let deals and say, oh, I have to put in more than 25%. Well, clearly that doesn't work. But if you look at it and say, I don't mind how much I put in. I have the capital available, if you're lucky enough for that. What are my returns? then it can still work to some degree. So return on investment levels in sort of the Southeast, the, the investment area that I'm most familiar with, in, in the old world, you'd put in 25% plus all your upfront costs, stamp duty, refurb, whatever else. And you would probably be hoping to get 3 to 4% return on investment, something in that range. And these days, I think you need to be looking at putting in a, a much bigger uh, cash investment. So you'd be putting in probably at least 40%, maybe as much as 50% of the, the purchase price. However, the return on investment you'd be looking at getting would still be around the 3% level. it, it might be slightly less than that, maybe slightly more if you get a, a better deal, but around 3 percent. So it's not it's not very different in terms of return on investment, but you do have to put in a whole heap more cash.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I, I mean as you as you said, I mean we we've talked a fair amount about this in recent episodes. But my my immediate thought is for people with large lumps of cash, that is o- that's okay, isn't it? I think a lot of people. Within the property investing community are not coming in with you know large chunks of you know hundreds a hundred grand here and a hundred grand there and I think that for for three percent that that's then the next question which we've discussed, and I'm sure we will discuss again, which is 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 property the best place for that money, given all of the things you've got to do for it and and the time horizons versus just opening up a, a stocks and shares account, throwing it in there, and, and getting on average seven percent a year versus everything else that you might be able to do, uh, and not have to worry about Michael Gove and the next set of legislation that may or may not come in in the next few years. So I think, I think, I think the answer, as always, and and you and I, I think we, we will repeat this till our dying days, which is if if the numbers look good. To the person that 's investing, and you 've set your criteria then do it and I, and I think you know a, a diverse portfolio meaning both in property and out of properties is is the way to go i think I think for a lot of people though if if, you've got, um, if you 've got or actually what I was going to say is a lot of people won 't be coming in with that sort of cash, and I think as we know. A lot of people are looking to how to see how they can recycle cash, and I think at the moment that is that's the challenge. If we think about the greatest aspects, or one of the greatest aspects of property, is the leverage uh, ability. That is getting harder because, like you say, and, and we've looked at this on the Patma software, and and it still surprises me because I haven't seen it for twenty years. But you know, if if it says that I now have to put. 40% or 30% of a deposit on for a deal to look good, to me it doesn't look good. And, and but that is just a case of because that's not what I'm used to. It doesn't mean that the numbers don't work, it just means that I've not been used to that. I've been used to putting down 15, 20% deposit and then looking at my re- return on investment based on that. But if you're now looking at 30, 40, 50%, particularly in the southeast, you're then thinking that's a lot of capital to put into as we say an illiquid asset which you're then going to struggle to get out of at least for the short term.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're going in the a very long term view, you can say that buying now is probably not too bad a time. Prices have, have dropped a bit, they've definitely come off uh, at the peak last year and maybe they've got a little bit more to fall, but hopefully not too much more. So it is probably not too bad, from a a capital appreciation point of view to buy now. However, one of the the real sort of multipliers of capital appreciation is the ability to leverage it. And if you can only leverage at 50% rather than 75-25, then it it makes a big difference to those capital returns.
1: Can I just say that you've just touched on something there which... It, it, it irks me just because of the way it is. But so if we if we talk about the let's just say the eighteen year property cycle, which is which is spoken about, created by Fred Turner. But but let's just say that it's eighteen to twenty years. The thing that irks me most is that right now, I I agree that it looks like we're getting into the best better time to buy. But what really frustrates me is I think but I'm not going to be in the right time to buy because I'm fighting the fires with my current portfolio and the interest rates. And then what makes me really sad, Simon, is that I think, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm ready for the next event. But in 20 years' time, I'm probably going to be ready to, you know, to pack up and go home and just go and sit on the Costa del Sol, hopefully, if, you know, if it's not 80 degrees.
0: Yep, Yep. exactly. Tw- 20 years ago in the last, last crash, of course, it wasn't exactly 20 years ago, but Around then, eighteen, twenty, whatever. Yeah, I, I wasn't wasn't ready. Too busy doing other things. And now th- this is a time when I'm really into property. This is my my potential crash to to be ma- making hay with. And and yeah, I, I don't have enough capital. <laughs> it's like oh!
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like you know we I now have the knowledge that I didn't have previously, but not the finance. And uh, yeah, it, it was ever thus. And um, and there was just one other element on this, this question that was raised about. You know, there's a question around leasehold and the fact that, that they might have had to uh, potentially extend the leaseholds on their properties.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I went back to, to this person and, and, and put forward the points that I've just mentioned about maybe Bitelet is still profitable. Uh, and they came back and said, well, maybe, but it's not for me because they, they've got a couple of properties that need to be remortgaged soon and are coming up for, for leasehold extensions or needing these hold extensions, so they'd have to put extra capital in. And they were saying, e- even without putting the extra capital in, which is obviously something they don't particularly want to do if they don't need to, after the, the remortgages, they would be looking at mortgage payments bigger than their rents. And I mean, that, that, that is clearly the definition of unprofitable. So, so I think it definitely exists. Unprofitable buy-to-let. Buy-to-let that does not work for people Definitely exists. And as I said right near the beginning, it definitely exists for existing setups if you're not, not careful. But yeah, we we're going to talk a bit more about the, the leasehold extension thing. And this this is something that I've never experienced because all of my investment properties uh, and personal properties have always been freehold. So perhaps you could just explain a little bit about how. How leasehold extensions work, Joe? Because I know you've been through one, at least one.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not sure if my sigh came through on the uh, uh, on the microphone, but uh, I sighed as as Simon was talking about that. Through so very, very quickly. Obviously, if you buy a leasehold property, you are not the owner of the freehold. You're essentially leasing that that element of the freehold for a period of time, which is, which is now typically 99 years, 125 years. Sometimes two hundred and fifty years or nine hundred and ninety nine could could be any of the above now typically, when that lease gets down to sort of eighty years or less, and you know the number that we used to have and i 'm not sure if it's the same now, but basically if a lease gets down to seventy years, you will find that that property is not necessarily unsalable, but the value of it will drop markedly uh, i mean considerably so so the thinking is that essentially, when your when your lease gets down to sort of eighty or under, that you should really be extending that lease so that it's appealing to the next buyer, and you're, you don't have to devalue that property. And you know that and that happened on one of ours. And, and essentially, it, it was the original lease when my wife bought the property was whatever it was, one hundred twenty five, one hundred fifty years. It got down to eighty ish and we had to extend the lease when you extend the lease you as always you're crossing quite a few palms with a few different pieces of silver one of those being a solicitor one of those being the freeholder solicitor and essentially what they work out is what they think the value of that lease extension is and in our case it was a flat in london the lease extension itself was about 20k so quite a significant sum of money however what that means is that we wouldn't have to accept a, a 30% or 40% discount on the property price should we sell it. And it's now, now that we've extended the lease by uh, 100 years, we don't have to worry about it. What that means, obviously, is that if, if you're thinking about a property, if, you've, if you're looking at buying a property that is anywhere sort of around 80, 90 years, and you're thinking long term, which obviously we should be, then you need to be thinking about the fact that yeah, these sums of money could come in now. the The interesting thing is, with the current markets, this could be a good time to look at lease extensions because property values are flatter. So, uh, when people are doing the calculations, when the you know when the uh, the professionals are doing their calculations, hopefully the projections are a little bit less punchier than they might be. So, my view would be, actually, if you've got lease extensions, now might be the right time. Obviously, if you've got the funding uh, and the capital to to do it the the other aspect is and, and it's quite interesting we've just been offered the the freehold of our property so uh, just one other note if you own a leasehold property if the freeholder wants to sell it they they are legally obliged to offer it to the existing leaseholders first they have to they have to offer it for a certain period of time and then the the leaseholders get whatever it is, I think 90 days or whatever the number is, to to agree or not. That then will throw you into a, a separate bucket of uh, infighting with said leaseholders because, first of all, someone has to organise this. So in, in our case, we've got six leaseholders. My my wife's taken on the baton of trying to get people together. And as you can imagine, you've got a, a wild and varied bunch of people, some of which are quite responsive, some that just say it's fine. I will die in this flat without having extended this lease. So, um, uh, so anyway, in short, that that's lease. But lease does complicate things. And as anyone that's listened to this podcast knows, I'm probably not a a fan of lease because I also have a leasehold flat. Uh, and the other thing with lease is that you will pay ground rents. You'll pay service charges because that's where the freeholders make their money. The, the other sort of fly in the ointment, and I appreciate we're coming towards the end of this podcast, is that with leasehold, you are in other people's hands, but also there is a lot going on in government uh, around leasehold and how that's going to look in the future. For me personally, and you know, Simon and I talked about this before, if you gave me the option to to buy a leasehold flat, it would be my last option. However, if I ran the numbers and the numbers looked okay, i 'd probably still do it, but it wouldn 't be top of my list to do because of the the number of complications, but I would never want that to put someone off i 'd say just look at it and if it, if it looks like it could work i mean the, the, the flat we 've got now, which was the, the six month flip which we 've now owned for nearly four years, you know that is the service charges are are quite literally eye watering every 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 quarter those come through uh, it It pains me, so at least hold something to look at so just in, in relation back to the question. I can understand why that would concern them. However, my view would be if, you've, if they've had the finances to extend the lease, they're probably better off doing that. Depending on those values, because obviously we don't have enough data, but otherwise, you're going to get p- potential buyers if when they look to exit, that will say, "Well, actually, it's coming very close to whatever 70 years. I'll then want a 10% discount on the property price." So that those numbers need to be balanced up quite quite meticulously to, to work out whether or not the, the extension would be better and if anyone's thinking of holding it long-term extension would be better
0: i have questions around share of freehold versus leasehold and and i think perhaps we we could get into that on, a, on another day because unfortunately we have have run out of time today please do leave us a rating in your your podcast player of choice we really would appreciate it and Stuart and i will look forward to talking to you again next week